Yeah, I, I don't know if you all know this or not, but uh, this right here is actually my favorite season that we're getting ready to start. It's called No Shave November. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, I practice for this season all year long. <laughs> and I see some of y'all do as well. Uh, I, you know, I think sometimes we get into the space where, uh, you know, these first few days, if you do No Shave November, are kind of rough for people, right? That kind of awkward stage. Uh, between it's kind of scratchy and five o'clock shadowy and the glory of Gandalf, right? Uh, you, you might know what I'm talking about here with that. But, you know, it, it's, it's not just this season, the No Shave November season, uh, that this whole season is kind of about. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at continuing our fall movie series. Uh, today, though, we're going to talk about a little bit of an awkward time and an awkward space. That kind of in-between moment. You know, I'm sure that most of us have had one of those kind of awkward stages, right? That, that moment between, I want to grow my hair out, <laughs> and I want to keep it really short. Uh, for me, I was fortunate enough I had that during COVID time, so no one saw that awkward in-between stage. You know, maybe you had that awkward stage when you were learning to play an instrument or play a sport, Right? You weren't quite so bad that everyone was like, oh, come on, you can do it. But you weren't quite good enough to be good at it. <laughs> you know, it's almost impossible to talk about awkward stages without talking about junior high. <laughs> As someone who's a teacher, I see that all the time with folks. And I know that that, for many of us, feels like one of the most awkward spaces. This morning, we're going to be talking about a movie called Goodwill Hunting. And in this movie, while the hook to the movie that a lot of people kind of know about is that it's a movie about a guy named Will Hunting, who is played by Matt Damon, who is a janitor who solves some really complicated math equation. I think what we're going to see today through this movie is that it's actually not the end point, nor the beginning point, but kind of the awkward point in between where he's spending his time with a counselor by the name of Sean McGuire, who's played by Robin Williams, that is kind of, kind of where the good stuff is in this, in this movie. You know, uh, for those of you who may not have seen this movie or not have seen it in a bit, after Will figures out this very first math problem, and uh, his, like, there's a professor at the college who sees that he's figured out this math problem that none of the professors can figure out, they try to convince this like kind of Boston tough guy, hey, you should give up your kind of blue collar job and go into mathematics. And he just kind of shakes them off and he says, okay, I'll look, if you can't do that, at least maybe, maybe you'll go to a counselor and see my friend who's a psychologist named Sean and maybe they can kind of talk through it. You know, Will in this movie doesn't really see that as a, as a good fit. It doesn't fit with his tough guy persona. And, but over the span of a couple of weeks, over the span of the movie, you start to see him transition because of these conversations that he's having with Sean about relationships, about just life in general. Let me say this before we even get into it. One of the things that I am so thankful for because of the fact that I get to work with high school students all the time is the normalcy that going to counseling has become. Uh, it is something that used to be very stigmatized, and in some ways it still is at times, but it is a very healthy thing. 
And I'm so thankful that for a lot of our students nowadays, saying I'm going to my therapist, I'm going to my counselor is just as normal as saying like, I'm going to Target or I'm gonna eat a sandwich for lunch. And I'm very thankful that, that has this tough guy mentality that Will is talking about through this uh, is no longer the case because that type of work is so important. But today, the scene that we're gonna look at from the movie is a scene that as Will and Sean are starting to kind of get a little bit deeper and starting to talk about relationships. I do want to caution you that there is a one slight curse word in this, so if that is offensive to you, uh, do your thing. Uh, all right, so, uh, but we'll go ahead and I want you to pay attention to this scene and then after that, we'll kind of start unpacking. Yeah, you know, I think, I think if we're really honest, there's a lot of us, myself included, by the way, who often see ourselves in the same space that Will is here, right? We, we either see ourselves, we either see ourselves as so perfect that there's no chance of a flaw, or we see ourselves as so flawed that there's no chance of something good going on and we don't wanna take the risk. We kind of either see ourselves as the highlights that we post on Instagram, or we see ourselves as that awkward haircut that no one would care about. But today I wanna to suggest to you something completely different as a way to think about this process. I wanna to suggest to you today that, that love shows up, that God shows up sometimes in the weird little places of where we choose who to let into our lives, in those moments between the moments that we post on social media. Not the highlights, not the, hey, I'm struggling with this thing, but it's those in-between moments that really make up the good part of life. Today, we're gonna to be looking at a story that shows up in both the Hebrew and the Christian scripture. Uh, it's in the book of Exodus chapter 16, and it's a story that, that we may be somewhat familiar with, but it's a story that I wanna spend some time today putting some handles on, because I think there's something that we can uh, take out of it as a place of hope and comfort in sometimes what feels like a kind of mundane Monday or mundane Tuesday. So I'm going to start today by looking at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 16. Uh, the story, just so you kind of know, picks up after the Israelites have been enslaved by the Egyptians, and they, and they're leaving for Canaan, are, are kind of in this like in-between spot before they get to their dream spot. Okay, so I want us to start looking at a couple of verses. The first verse is in verse four and five, and it says this. It says, the Israelites said, why didn't God just let us die in the comfort of Egypt where we had enough lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You've brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death, the whole company of Israel. So God said to Moses, I'm gonna rain bread down from the skies for you. The people will go out and gather each day's ration I'm going to test them to see if they'll live according to my teachings or not. You see, this text starts off with people complaining, right? Which I think is something that many of us do very well. <laughs> Why couldn't we just stay in Egypt? <clears throat> you know, I think sometimes we have this tendency, don't we, to kind of look back at moments in the good old days, and by that what we really mean is when life was good for us, even if it wasn't good for everyone else. Sometimes we get really nostalgic for the times where 
we had certain privileges and other people didn't. Sometimes we feel, myself very included here, of couldn't we just go back to the time when life was simpler or life was whatever. As a teacher, I experience this all the time. Couldn't we just teach? <laughs> you know, just recently, as we were processing through this with COVID, I think a lot of us, myself included, who were privileged enough during COVID to have the ability to work from home, we kind of look back at those times that were devastating for our planet and think, you know, it wasn't too bad. I, I got to binge through Lost again, and I got to, you know, learn to bake some bread, and I got to sleep in a couple of days a week. But, you know, uh, Dr. Emisara, who's a professor of neuroscience at Dominican College in New York, says that that's actually a process called rosy retrospection, where we, like, look back at what we call the good old days, and we remember just the good parts. She says it this way. She says, negative emotions of past memories are thought to detract from goal attainment and perseverance in the face of adversity. While having grit is important, it may keep us from making real change when we're in negative situations. Rosy retrospection is one of many cognitive biases or mental shortcuts which enable efficient energy-saving reactions that enhance our survival. Evolutionarily, this bias makes sense when you consider it promotes a positive self-view and may help us face challenges. The underlying mechanisms work to reframe sour memory over time into something sweeter than it was. So when we recall the past, it isn't viewed in the same emotional light as when it occurred. In fact, while this phenomenon speaks to why we're so poor at remembering our emotions of past events, especially when it comes to painful ones, it also explains why we're unreliable when forecasting our future emotions. The Israelites, at least in this narrative, did what a lot of us do, right? We process the good things from our past and hold on to them while allowing some of the things that weren't as good to slide away. You know, I think this is part of the reason why this story says that God is going to test them. Now, this part of the story to me is a little bit weird because here are these people who have been enslaved for generations are complaining, and God says, I'm going to test you by giving you free food. As someone who's worked in youth ministry for a long time, I would never say that's a test. <laughs> you know, honest, after a long day at work or a long week at work, if I come home and Morgan's made a nice big meal, I never look at her and say, why are you testing me? <laughs> so what gives? You see, one of my favorite parts about the Hebrew tradition of scripture is that if you grew up like me, I grew up in a world that kind of said, you know, if the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And there's, there's no space for, like, wrestling with it and trying to figure out, like, is this, is this what this, it, huh? But in Hebrew tradition, there's this thing called midrash, where scholars and people wrestle with the text. And it's okay, and it's good to question it. And it's good to say, I, I don't get this. In fact, one of the Hebrew teachers, a medieval Spanish Jewish rabbi named Rambam, produced a midrash that said this. Uh, it said, you know, the Israelites were taken out of slavery by an unfamiliar ancestral God who each day provided a strange food that neither they nor their ancestors had ever seen before. 
The people didn't know if this invisible God would in fact provide food every day. They only received it one day at a time with no assurance of the future. You see, at least according to Ramban, what happened was the Israelites who were coming out of slavery didn't have the same kind of past, didn't have the same kind of maybe a relationship with God. They didn't have the same kind of religious thoughts that maybe generations in the past had had because they hadn't seen the things that had gone on before them. They didn't have the experiences to describe to themselves, okay, this is how this process works. Their test was to figure out if this future, this future that they had no way of knowing about, would be worth jumping into. You know, I think it's the same kind of test that Will is talking about here, right? Like, well, why don't you call her back up? Well, because she's perfect. And that unwillingness to take that next step, to jump in, is what the Israelites, I think, might have been wrestling with. God, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt, where at least we had lambs to? You know, but maybe it's that space. It's that in-between space of, I don't know, but I'm going to take a risk on it anyway. I'm going to take a shot at it. It's maybe that space where love really shows up. That in-between mundane, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. That makes sense. This next February, Morgan and I will be celebrating our 12th anniversary. And while that's not nearly as long as some folks, and by the way, for those of you who have been married, thank you, and who have had longer-term relationships, thank you for the model that you provide of showing that love can endure. But we've had our fair share of complications. After we'd been married about a year, we decided to move across the country to Tucson to take on a full-time job in ministry. Uh, while we were there, uh, we decided that it would be a great idea to live in a 192-square-foot camper for two years. I will say, by the way, that was excellent for our marriage. Because here's the thing. If you get into an argument and one of you stomps off, the other one can still see you. <laughs> right? So us and our two dogs had to figure out how to make the process work. While we were there, while we were there in that camper, we decided to build a house with our own hands, like hammer, nails, set the walls, do the things. And we lived in that nice, beautiful house for six weeks before deciding to move across the world to Morocco, where neither of us had ever been, and Morgan had never left North America. Since then, we've moved back to the United States, uh, taught in a college, had an exchange student from Italy, dealt with aging parents and the whole process, which is really a good thing that we had a nice, long engagement of three weeks. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to necessarily say that that is the best course of action for everyone. <laughs> but I would say this about it. I would say that it has worked for us because, you know, there's, there's no way that we could have known what was going to come next, right? Over the last almost 12 years, there have been so many things that have changed, so many different directions that have happened, different jobs, different careers, going back to grad school, change in our belief systems. But it's that mundane time of wrestling, of saying, I don't know what's going to come next, but it's okay. We can do this together. That I think the really beautiful things have shown up. You know, it's not always the highlights, the best parts. Oftentimes are the silly things, right? The parts, the stories you tell about aren't the 
amazing dynamics, but sometimes they're just driving around in Springfield on a Saturday night trying to find a place that's open or will serve you. Hashtag last night problems. (laughs) You know, in Exodus, it ends the story saying it this way. The Israelites named it manna, which means, what is this? It looked like coriander seed, whitish. It tasted like a cracker with honey. Moses said, this is God's command. Keep a two-quart jar of it, an omer, for future generations so they can see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness after I brought you out of Egypt. The Israelites ate the manna for 40 years until after they arrived at the land where they would settle down. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. You see, the end goal of this whole story was that they were trying to get to Canaan, a land, a promised land, the the perfect place that they were trying to get since Genesis chapter 17, early in the journey. The end goal was not for them to like sit in the wilderness and eat, what is it? This wasn't their highlight reel. There are a lot of parts of the scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, that I look at and I sometimes wonder, why in the world, when illiteracy was high, when people didn't write, when paper was expensive, why in the world would you choose to include things like this? Why would you decide to make mention of, I need you to keep a two-quart jar of this thing and call it Omer? Or why do they have all of those texts of so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they fought in this war and did this thing? And sometimes I look at those and I'm like, why would you do this? They seem to be the mundane parts of the story. But maybe the reason they're there, maybe, is that they're there to remind us of the ordinary parts of the day. As a reminder for those folks, you know, I'm sure that the people who were wandering around were tired of eating manna. If this story is to be taken literally, and by the way, like 40 years in Hebrew scripture just really means like a really long time. It's like this morning when some people came in and Whitney said, I feel like I haven't seen you in a hundred years. Whitney didn't mean a hundred years. She just meant a really stinking long time. But if you take it literally, it means this, that if you were two years old when this story started, you'd be my age when you finished eating manna every day. And I think... It's those things that at first were miracles that then just seem to be mundane, that sometimes we need to be reminded of. The reminder that there was a day before cell phones or microwaves or blue jeans. And I think sometimes that you can probably remember, in fact, this morning we were talking about the first time that people got on the internet. Mind-boggling. And now we couldn't imagine living without it. Because I think sometimes we forget to recognize the miracles in the mundane. The joys that come out of those spaces of the in-betweens. You know, that's okay. Life doesn't have to be full of just Instagram-worthy moments. You don't have to be perfect because you can't be. Let me say this, though, very specifically, especially for those of you who are parents. Parents don't have to be perfect to be perfect parents for your kids. I see your kids, I see your students every day, and you're doing a great job. And you need to know that. 
You're doing a great job. But even though you don't have to be perfect, I do think maybe we just need to figure out that there are people in this world who we can be our weird little self around in the mundane moments of life. I think this restaurant nails it. It says this, let your weirdo light shine bright so that other weirdos can find you. (laughs) You know, I spend all day every day with high school students as a teacher in a local public school. And I think this is true for adults too, but I'll tell you, students aren't looking for the coolest person or the person with the most toys or for their parents to be their best friend. They are looking for people who will be real with them and who they can be real with as well. They're looking for people who will check in on them, who will ask them, honestly, how are you doing? And listen when they respond. And I think as adults, we want the same thing. For me, at least, that place is here at the venues. It's a place where we can come with our questions and quirks and our weirdo flags. It's a place where you can be you and be with whomever you love because if you figured out someone who you can be you around, we want to celebrate that. We want to affirm that and celebrate that. And I believe that you've got something to teach us. We are a place where these weird little idiosyncratic things that Sean was talking about happen. One of my favorite things about the venues is small groups that happen. Whether it's garage beers excursions, which are getting ready to start up, whether it's the LGBTQIA plus group or family connections after service, or working together on a Thursday night to feed our unsheltered friends, or working in KV on a Sunday morning to make sure that our littlest uh, are loved and affirmed. There are multitudes of ways that you can find people here. Not just people who can be friendly, by the way, but people who can be your friend, who know your name, who you matter to and who matters to you. By the way, one of those moments is happening right after service. It's gonna happen in the auditorium here called Next Level. And if you're new here, it's a great way to meet people for the first time who are also starting this journey together. I think it's these little mundane moments, by the way, that build the relationships that allow us to deal with things when they are the highs and lows. Just last week, Morgan and I had to deal with this. We had to put one of our dogs down. It's a dog that was 14 years old, who had been with Morgan since before we met. He was a 20 pound lap weight when we watched television and like a 4 million BTU space heater when it was cold at night. When things like that happen, it is very interesting to see who you contact first to let them know. After letting my parents know, because they were the ones who took care of him while we were in Morocco, the next messages that were sent out were to the staff group here at the venues on Slack, because I knew that they would care. And then to my Dungeons and Dragons group. Because for some reason, years of battling dragons in the plains of Roe have set up a reality here on earth where when things hit the fan, I have someone I want to talk to about it. Sometimes it's those mundane moments, the awkward moments of raising children, the hard moments of dealing with aging parents or grandparents, or the forward-looking moments of graduation It's the moments between the big events, I think, that often are the moments where the memories are made. 
Sometimes we can miss those great moments, though, because we are so focused on the big moments around us, the things that happened in the past or the things that are going to happen in the future, that we miss the mundane. And so my hope for you today is this. My hope is that you would be willing to take a risk to get to know someone, to share the weird little idiosyncrasies of you with the weird little idiosyncrasies of them. Maybe it's small group. Maybe it's working in kids' venue together. Maybe it's joining us for next level. Maybe it's just a friend that you buy a beer with on a Tuesday. But find people. Because here at the venues, we believe that we want to be a place where every life is driven by love. And the way that love is given and received is when we do it with each other. So please, as we get ready to close, I'd like to share this with you. May you feel love when you experience mundane joys. The Tuesday afternoon Andy's runs and hearing your best friend sharing about their favorite hobby, even if you think it's really nerdy. May you feel love when you experience the mundane imperfections, the farts by your partner that wake up the dog, and the scraped up arm couch, couch from an arm, arm from a couch, from moving it around a corner when it just wouldn't fit. May you feel love when you experience the mundane together. May the joys always be doubled and the sorrows divided. And finally, may you feel love when you take a risk to meet people for the first time. May you find not only friendly people, but people who love and affirm you just the perfectly imperfect way that you are. May you know today that you are loved. We love you.